Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Detroit has for decades now chased downtown development with massive subsidies for developers. The latest on the table is one of the largest, $800 million for an expansion of the District Detroit, the sports and entertainment district created around Little Caesars Arena. We're going to talk about that today with Malachi Barrett, a reporter at Bridge Detroit. We'll talk about its likelihood of happening and how it fits into the overall narrative of the way Detroit is changing. That's next on Detroit Today, but first, the news from NPR. You're listening to Detroit Today on WDET, hosted by Stephen Henderson, focused on the news, politics, and issues that define our region. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. More information at thewright.org. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. You know, when I think about the city and how it's changed over my lifetime, there are lots and lots of things that come to mind. But one of the biggest changes, of course, is to downtown Detroit. When I was a kid in the 1970s and 80s, downtown was the center of commercial and retail activity in the city. It was always crowded day and night. Then, of course, it emptied out as people left the city, as businesses closed up and went away. It was in the 90s and later that people really started to talk about ways we could reshape downtown Detroit, reattract people and businesses and entertainment. And over the last few decades, of course, we really have done a lot of that. Downtown is full of things that we never really had and full again of things that we used to have here in the city of Detroit. But all of that comes at a cost. One of the things that we've been really awful about, frankly, here in Detroit is the idea of chasing development with big subsidies. The idea that it's not worth a developer's time or money to build something in Detroit. And so we have to make it worth it to them by subsidizing their projects with taxpayer money. Sometimes that's taxpayer money from people here in the city of Detroit. Sometimes it's from the entire state of Michigan. The other thing, the other cost that attends all of this development downtown is the competition for attention and investment here in the city. Think of all the neighborhoods and how much they could benefit from that kind of investment, from developers building things, rehabbing, attracting new business and activity. We go back and forth about this all the time, whether it's worth all the investment downtown to Detroiters who live far flung from downtown, who maybe never even indulge in the things that are available for people in downtown Detroit. And we have this argument each time a big development comes up. The latest is a new project led by the Illich family's Olympia Development and Stephen Ross's related companies. It plans to build four residential buildings, four commercial offices, two hotels, on-site parking and public space enhancements around the District Detroit, which is the neighborhood that was created uh, around Little Caesars Arena when it was constructed. The project is estimated to cost $1.5 billion and be completed by 2028. And as with almost all big projects in downtown Detroit, there's a massive subsidy on the table for this project. $800 million has been proposed in various tax credits. The question is whether all this will even happen 
what kinds of things will be prioritized along the way, and what kind of benefits will Detroiters, especially those who have been in the city the longest, realize from this kind of development? It's a debate that's going on right now in many quarters, but especially in some meetings that have been convened in the neighborhood around Little Caesars Arena uh, to talk about this project, how it should unfold, and why. Later in the hour, we're going to talk a little about the severe job shortages that have hit Wayne County uh, with Ray Basham, a county official for a really long time. But right now, we want to stick right here in Detroit and talk about this new development project with Malachi Barrett. He is a reporter who covers the city of Detroit for Bridge Detroit, and he's been writing a lot about this new plan for the district Detroit. Malachi, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and a note on transparency. I should uh, mention that I'm uh, the founder and executive advisor for Bridge Detroit, so Malachi and I work together as well. Uh, So let's start here. Tell us about this uh, District Detroit plan, where it comes from, and I guess where we are in the process. This is something that started about a decade ago. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in in one sense, uh, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners can recall, we've kind of been through this before. District Detroit was actually the same term used by the Illich's Olympia Development to describe a pretty similar vision uh, of a mix of residential, retail, and commercial development that would spring up in the area around Little Caesars Arena, kind of the northern edge of downtown, um, you know, just south of the, the highway crossing there. Um, this is District Detroit 2.0, as you could, uh, I guess you could call it. The main difference is now we've got uh, Stephen Ross's uh, related companies from New York uh, as a partner in the project. Um, and, and this time, you know, there's going to be some hotels attached to it. Um, largely, though, it, it is, again, another kind of residential and office space mixed-use uh, proposal. There's going to be some, some retail space for people. Um, Parks amenities are now included in this as well, some, some kind of public space enhancements. But this is largely all going to take place uh, west of Woodward, again, kind of on the northern edge of downtown. You, you imagine kind of the area um, you know, west of Comerica Park, kind of south of Little Caesars Arena. And um, talk about what we've seen so far in the District of Detroit. So I remember when all of this was proposed uh, and the debates about uh, how much would be done and on what timeline. We got an arena. Uh, that was the first step. Uh, we've seen some other things. Uh, but, but talk about whether all of the things that we were talking about have even yet come to, to, to be in District Detroit 1. 1.0. Yeah, I mean, all that really came out of the, the you know, first vision 10 years ago was LCA. Um, there was no residential housing that was built. A lot of the sites that were proposed for these places have kind of continued to remain as uh, empty uh, surface lots, parking lots, um, where people now park to go to uh, some of these these games downtown. So there's essentially been, you know, nothing nothing really has happened aside from the arena being built over the last decade uh, or so. And, you know, I think this is kind of where some of the key, you know, community tension comes from, some of the kind of skepticism about another plan that sounds, you know, interesting and and potentially, uh, you know, containing a lot of positive benefit. But when you kind of look at the track record, um, you know, of of these developers, that's where some of the skepticism starts to come in. And they've got a pretty aggressive uh, construction timeline. They'd like to get all of this done uh, over the next five years if all the approvals are done and, um, you know, the, the incentives are improved. They could potentially start uh, construction later this summer. And then you'll see kind of a, a piecemealing of, of these projects getting sprung up uh, over the next five years or so, which, again, I think is, is ambitious, um, you know, particularly when we're talking about the scale of this investment. It's mm-hmm. a $1.5 billion uh, project. Uh, each of these uh, individual buildings, you know, are, are tens uh, to several million dollars or, or more in investment. Um, so, you know, in a city where sometimes we wonder about contractor capacity, um, you know, the ability, especially of, of local Detroiters to take advantage of these construction jobs, which is going to be a, a pretty big, um, sticking point with these projects. Um, 
you know, I think there's there's a lot of community questions about, you know, is this realistic? Are we going to get kind of the, the football yanked uh, out from under us again, uh, you know, to, to use a Charlie Brown reference there? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. I mean, we're, we're in the conceptual phase. We've seen a lot of renderings. There's been a transformational brownfield plan that happened this week where we've gotten a little bit more of a sense of the financial impact of this, you know, the number of jobs that are expected to be created. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of residential units, what some of the costs of that will be. Um, but, you know, it, it all it all hinges on whether this actually moves forward uh, on schedule. So so I want to talk about the, the advisory council, uh, the Neighborhood Advisory Council uh, that's been formed to talk about this, this project and how it will both affect and, and hopefully benefit uh, the neighborhood around uh, around LCA and 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 where this will be where this will be built. Uh, what are some of the things that people have have talked about at this at, at these council meetings? What are the, some of the things that are being proposed, and what are some of the concerns they have? Yeah, so I, I think this is really the the most interesting uh, aspect of the whole process. In in 2016, Detroit passed a, a pretty unique law. Uh, for its time that allows residents to negotiate with developers for community benefits in exchange for these taxpayer subsidies. So it, it was a grassroots-led effort. Uh, there were two competing proposals. Ultimately, the, the city voted for a version of the proposal that was a little bit more watered down from what I think um, you know some of the kind of early adopters would have wanted. But in essence, it, it is aimed at giving the public more of an opportunity to participate in the development process. Um, and, you know, if we're going to be giving away um, taxpayer dollars that, you know, could be used uh, for city services or libraries or schools, um, you know, in exchange to make the financing easier for these projects, uh, what, what do what do residents get out of that, you know, aside from just kind of a boost to the tax base and, and property values and that kind of thing? So the community benefits uh, ordinance is is really this should be a pretty powerful tool. It, it allows a neighborhood advisory council uh, made up of residents within a design a defined impact area, um, you know, around these large development projects. And I should uh, also state that this is only triggered when a uh, development is worth $75 million mm-hmm. uh, or more in investment. So it's really like the largest uh, scale projects, which was kind of uh, you know, a point of, of contention at the time. Some folks would have liked to see this trigger for less expensive uh, developments because those still obviously have a big impact. Um, but this neighborhood council gets to sit down with developers over, uh, you know, weekly meetings that have been going on since December um, and will conclude uh, toward the end of February if we get on schedule here. Um, and they hammer out a, a deal. They, they negotiate an agreement that basically sets commitments on behalf of developers to go a little bit further in creating public good. Um, you know, does that mean maybe they commit to, uh, you know, parks enhancements? Does it mean they commit to creating uh, workforce opportunity uh, programs uh, to, to train up Detroit's workforce? Um, you know, does it mean that there's scholarship opportunities for high school uh, kids in the area to get, you know, connected with this? Does it mean there's commitments to have, uh, you know, a certain amount of the retail space set aside for longtime Detroiters uh, or, you know, black Detroiters mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. to take advantage of that. These are all things that are, um, you know, hypothetically on the table. So we're in the middle of this process right now. Um, there have been, I think, four or five uh, CBO meetings held at CAF Tech High. And um, yeah, I mean, we're right in the middle of it. So far, there's not a, a an agreement that's been formalized. Um, Members of the uh, council uh, have have kind of talked about: Do we set a price tag of the investment? Do we do we ask for you know a certain dollar amount? Uh, tentatively, they decided that fifty million dollars is kind of what they would like to see. Although interestingly uh, enough, we heard uh, in in the subsequent meeting that that would represent the largest uh, investment on behalf of the developer through this uh, community benefits process uh, by by quite a wide margin. Uh, the average uh, developer investment is closer to around $2 million. So what I'm kind of paying attention to is, you know, who benefits from this, who wins and loses Mm -hmm. 
when government subsidies uh, subsidizes economic development, you know, what's what's kind of lost when people are offered a, a chance to influence that process, but they find out that maybe the process isn't as perfect as they would have liked. Um, you know, some of these questions and contradictions have really kind of driven Detroit's interest in, in the CBO process and, and the community itself um, who have come out to these meetings in, you know, quite a large number, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue talking with Malachi Barrett of Bridge Detroit about the proposal uh, to expand Bridge or District Detroit uh, near Little Caesars Arena in downtown Detroit. Uh, we're going to start to hear from you, our listeners, as well. Give us a call. 313 577 1019 is the number here on the phone. That's 313 Let us know what you think of the idea of expanding. Ending the district Detroit. Well, let's know what you think about the idea of the subsidies that we are asked over and over again to provide for development like this. Give you a sense of whether you think this helps the city overall or does it just help downtown and developers. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today will work you into the conversation. We'll start with Mike in Chesterfield and Frank in Livonia when we get back. Stay where you are. We'll be back with more Detroit Today in a minute. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you decided to join us. We're talking right now with Malachi Barrett. He's a reporter for Bridge Detroit, who covers the city of Detroit. He has been covering the new District Detroit development, the proposed new District Detroit development around Little Caesars Arena. Uh, it would expand uh, that project quite a bit with uh, a number of things that uh, are sound, at least, pretty exciting uh, new residences, new commercial spaces, uh, hotels, all kinds of things. Uh, it's a $1.5 billion proposed project, uh, but like most big downtown developments here in Detroit, it is asking for a substantial public subsidy as well. <clears throat> We're talking about the negotiations to, to maybe get this project signed, sealed, and delivered and also about the implications, the broader implications, not only of those tax subsidies, but also uh, the continued focus on downtown, while uh, there are other places in the city that often quite desperately uh, cry out for investment and attention. We want to hear from you on the conversation as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Before we get to our listeners, Malika, I do want to talk about uh, the subsidies that are on the table here. As I said, $800 million. That is a huge number. Uh, I mean, I'm somebody who has been following uh, public and municipal finance for for quite some time. Um, I, the, 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 the sheer size of that number is surprising, but also... Uh, its relationship to the overall cost, $800 million of a $1.5 billion project. Essentially what developers are saying is they need taxpayers, and this is a state of Michigan taxpayers, uh, This is that's where those t- credits would come from, but they need us to pay half uh, or more than half of the entire uh, project, which is not something I think we're used to, to, to seeing. Uh, give us a sense of uh, the debate over these tax credits and and what developers say, uh, why developers say they need them uh, at this juncture in, in Detroit's history. Yeah, so I think you highlighted kind of the unique nature of just the amount of money that they're seeking. Most of that subsidy would come from what's called a transformational brownfield plan, uh, which is uh, was created by the state of Michigan in, in 2017 needs approval from the state and the city. Um, and this is allows developers to bundle together uh, a, a collection of different projects and, and essentially argue that these should all kind of be treated as, as one mega development because of the impact that it would have on a particular area. What's interesting to note is that uh, only two projects have received this, this funding since the program started in 2017. 
Uh, one of them was Dan Gilbert's uh, Hudson site project, uh, which last summer received um, some tax abatements from uh, the city that ultimately proved to be really controversial. Um, and so I think we're going to see a similar uh, conversation around this, uh, and I'm you know excited to see how that shakes out at, at City Hall. But just to throw some more numbers on the pile here, um, so of the $1.5 billion project, developers are intended to contribute um, around $655 million in equity. Mm-hmm. The rest of that money they are hoping to get uh, reimbursed over the lifetime of the abatement deals, which, uh, just to simplify things, are, are around 35 years. So essentially what they're going to do is put some of the money up uh, front and then get, um, get reimbursed for uh, you know, a larger part of the cost by um, having the increases in the property value uh, collected and, and given back to them. And so the main kind of argument here is that if this development didn't happen, the city wouldn't be collecting very much tax revenue from uh, sites that are, you know, either vacant, <coughs> excuse me, vacant lots right now, or uh, buildings that need to be redeveloped. You know, uh, older buildings that aren't really usable right now. And so the idea is, by giving, uh, by subsidizing these projects, you create value that that wouldn't be there, and the city will ultimately benefit over the long term. Um, developers anticipate around $751 million in new net revenue mm-hmm. for the city over this 35-year plan. Uh, I think it's important to put that in context, though. They're, they're requesting you know, $800 million in public funding, and they anticipate that the net revenue for the city will be $751 million. So you know, that's, that's about a $50 million difference. Uh, they're asking for more than what the value will be created there. But ultimately, that's kind of the argument that by supporting this, you get a lot of things that just wouldn't be financially possible. Um, developers uh, have, have talked to me, um, you know, pushing back on some of the headlines that they'd like half of the funding basically subsidized by taxpayers uh, by saying that, look, I mean, these they're not going to make a, a large return on their investment. Investing in Detroit is still seen as tricky. Um, it's still not seen as, as a sure thing. And so to get uh, investors on board to do these projects. Um, you know, there needs to be some public support attached to it. Um, they talk a lot about the risk involved in uh, in creating new office space and, and residential units, especially when there's uh, a commitment to have 20% of those be, uh, you know, quote-unquote affordable housing. Um, to the developer's credit, they've committed to lowering the, the rates uh, for rents below uh, what you normally see for affordable housing. So, Hopefully that will be actually more affordable for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they do that, they, they lose out on uh, on a lot of money. And so that's kind of the, the service level justification for these yeah. kinds of deals. Yeah. You know, uh, what's interesting to me about that is, uh, again, the timing. It's 2023. We have been at this for some time in Detroit, this, this downtown redevelopment effort uh, and things – are going, you know, really well with that, right? I mean, there are lots of things that have happened and lots of things that have been developed. I I would think that at this point it would be less risky and that the chance of return for developers would be higher than it was, say, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And yet uh, the subsidy that's being asked for here is higher both in number and percentage of the project uh, than 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 other developments, in, including um, um, Dan Gilbert's uh, project just down the street uh, from this. Uh, he he asked for nowhere near this size of a subsidy, and so the, you know the question is two twofold. One, when do we get to a, to a point when we we don't need to be making uh, these subsidies, uh, the way some, you know, people would rather that we not at all, but but also, are we moving in the right, you know, direction? Are we are we again chasing development with these subsidies in in, in a never ending cycle? And I should note that we have reached out to uh, both the Illich organization and to Stephen Ross's related companies uh, to get them to to join the conversation. Uh, they are planning to call in. Someone is going to call in and, and help us understand that. I think. Uh, but we are still waiting for that to happen. But but Malachi, this this idea that that 
you to ask for this much at this point really, I think, raises important questions about the kinds of development that we're doing and whether it's having the effect that we, that we want. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really key question. I mean, 10 years ago when District Detroit 1.0, let's call it, was being announced, uh, you know, Detroit was, was struggling with its bankruptcy and, and things were not looking great for the long-term uh, you know, prospect of, of big investment coming to the downtown. Mm-hmm. A decade later, um, you know, I think we're in a much better financial situation. I think that's why, in part, and, and maybe the developers can help us understand this, that we're seeing this happening now. Um, maybe that's kind of the big thing that's changed. Um, but, you know, De- Detroit remains really desperate, I think, to shore up its tax base, to create jobs through these kinds of transformational investments. And I think in large part, it's become kind of standard practice in the development world to, uh, you know, to, to expect that this kind of money will be coming because the way it's talked about in public meetings is just that you know, these, these kinds of developments just would not be possible um, without, without uh, taxpayers chipping in a little bit. And even more so for affordable housing, um, a, a member of the mayor's team at a recent uh, community benefits meeting said that you know, affordable housing just doesn't make financial sense to develop. The return on your investment is not there. And, um, you know, when you're offering units at several hundred dollars below the market rate and, you know, the market rate in, in Detroit, it's tough to find apartments that are, you know, under $1,400. You know, I, I can't afford to live there. I think a lot of longtime Detroiters, just kind of working folks, struggle uh, to, to take advantage of those housing opportunities. Um, you know, that's a lot of money that developers are missing out on again. And so I think that's that's kind of a, a key part of it. But I think when we come to the decision makers, uh, you know, deciding whether it's it's worth giving up this money, we're going to see the conversation really hinge on the job creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, development is supposed to create uh, just under 6,000 permanent jobs um, with incomes averaging around $95,000 a year. And in some of the uh, the new brownfield plan uh, materials that they've presented, um, you know, for the kinds of office jobs that they're creating, these are going to be a lot of kind of technical computer-based uh, skills. Um, you know, that that's great. But again, it, it raises the question of can Detroiters take advantage of those jobs? Are those going to be jobs offered to people who, you know, are new newcomers to the city moving from the outside? Um, Detroiters should be able to take more advantage of the construction jobs. Uh, at least that's the way it's kind of talked about. Um, construction would create around uh, 1,200 temporary jobs. Um, and that alone could be a big reason the council, the city council, supports these tax abatements. We saw a pretty similar argument mm-hmm. with the Hudson site project last summer, where, you know, ultimately the the promised jobs we're seeing is too important to not improve the tax incentives. But again, and and you know, all this stuff has a but and another side to it. Uh, the villages have not had a great track record when it comes to hiring uh, Detroiters for their projects. For the LCA project, they didn't meet a, a 51% right. locally hired target that the city has set. And so, you know, as as part of this too, um, you know, I've heard a, a feeling from residents that developers are, are just kind of willing to eat um, whatever fines come their way from not meeting that, that 51% yeah. standard. So, yeah. you know, it, it's all just, what, what gets promised, what gets delivered. And, you know, Detroiters tell me every day that they, they feel like there's no accountability for broken promises in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today and we can work into the conversation. Let's start on Twitter. Michael says, uh, I've lived in the district of Detroit for over 10 years. My landlord has literally doubled rent in the past four years. The reason supposedly is that the district is going to be an amazing place to live at some point in the future. Uh, Jeff on Twitter says, I think the people of Detroit deserve an explanation right from the Illages about what they originally promised and what has happened to progress on those promises. No more money until there is an explanation and legal agreement to complete the plan. Uh, I want to go to the phones, and I want to start with uh, Andrew Cantor, who is uh, part of Related uh, Michigan, uh, part of the uh, group that is uh, proposing this development in the district, Detroit. Andrew, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. And hi, Malachi. Uh, nice to nice to be speaking with you as well. Yeah. Andrew. Uh, so, so Andrew, uh, we were just talking about the tax credits that uh, yeah. that are on the table for this project, and I and I sort of threw out there this idea that 
this is a larger ask than uh, what we've had for previous development projects, and and I, I just am wondering why why would it be bigger uh, at this point in Detroit's history, g- given that that uh, the idea behind previous development projects uh, was to to make the environment healthier to invest in, to make the the environment better for developers. This suggests that's not happening, at least to me. Uh, but but I'd love to hear your your take on that. Sure. Um, so I, I think, for one, I think it really reflects um, the size of the of the private investment that's being made here. Um, we are, uh, along with our partners at uh, at Olympia Development, you know, making a or proposing a one point five billion dollar um, investment across ten buildings, um, which has the ability to really be transformational uh, for downtown. Um, and But in order to make those projects feasible, um, we do need support. Um, and I think, though, there are, there are a couple of, you know, things that have been discussed that are worth, you know, highlighting um, just uh, for, for the listeners. One, um, you know, the, the $800 million that is being talked about um, is support from city and state. Uh, revenues. And so when Malachi, I think you, you, you talked a little bit about the $750 million of net benefit for the city um, as compared to an $800 million number. When you take city and state benefit, um, it's actually $2.2 billion that's comparable to the $800 million um, that's been forecast uh, to be received in, in project support. And so on the city level, you know, it, it's it's actually a number that's uh, you know that, that's closer to to 200 million on in return for the 700 million dollars of, of benefits that are forecast. Um, so that that's one thing that I think just sort of to make sure that we're comparing apples to apples is really important. Um, these are complicated, uh, you know, very complicated projects and complicated sure. plans. And Malachi, you, you've done an amazing job, I think, of of digging into what is like what is 800 plus pages of uh, of information, um, but it's also taken, you know, a huge amount of time to to just put this together, and there's a lot of complexity there. So I want to make sure that listeners continue to have um, the facts there. I would also say uh, that none of those receipts that we're talking about, none of that project support at the city or state level, is available until we complete the projects, until we've invested the 1.5 billion dollars, um, and then. On the on the back end, there's risk associated with that because if the tax re- receipts aren't there, um, then the, uh, the then the source is not there for the for the new uh, for the for the for this public support. So right, you don't get the credits unless you do the work. you don't right. get credit if you don't have these buildings leased. Right. So 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 Andrew, I want to ask I guess a pretty simple question about this. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have that subsidy or a subsidy of that size. Would the developers here realize a return, or is this a question of how big the return is? In other words, would you lose money on a project like this if the public weren't willing to subsidize it, or is this about maximizing profit? It's actually about a a binary decision about whether the project happens or not, Stephen, because we can't, you know, we're not building on our own account. Um, We build... Uh, these projects with third-party investors who are seeking returns, mm-hmm. and we can't attract that those investors if the returns with, without the subsidy are projected to be 2.2 percent when a savings account is is garnering something more than that today. Right? Nobody is interested, I don't think, in making investments that are risky. Mm-hmm. At this in this day and age, when you could do better, just putting the money in the bank. And so, in order in order to actually make sure that the returns are support construction and support investment, we need this support. It really is a true kind of but for this support, the projects wouldn't go forward. Not a not anything else beyond that. So, so uh, at what point, Andrew? Do you feel? given the things that are happening in Detroit and have been happening in Detroit, at what point do we get to the space where we don't need that kind of support to convince investors 
to 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 develop here in Detroit. I mean that you know um, the idea that this happens over and over and over again. I think it's one of the things that frustrates Detroiters. It never seems to to have an end. I think that you know the conditions that that, that investors will look for and when we'll know that we're in in that position will in part be when when the city's growing significantly when young people are choosing to stay in Detroit or move to Detroit um, and and when it when there are enough job opportunities for those within the city to continue to improve their uh, their lives and so I think that you know there's been incredible work that's obviously been done um, but there's an opportunity here to do something transformational um, to take parking lots, surface parking lots, and, and buildings that are not in service, improve them, and build the kind of mixed-use development mm-hmm. that the companies that we talk to nationally as well as locally are looking to be part of, the kind of environments that young people who have, you know, maybe graduating from Wayne State, University of Michigan, Michigan State, um, or for that matter, you know, schools across the country, are looking for as well. And And the alternative, the number of people that we talk to, young people who who grew up in Detroit and did well, studied hard, and then have chosen to live elsewhere because they didn't see that opportunity within Detroit, um, is is a huge miss, missed opportunity from our perspective for um, where this city yeah. Should be. I mean, it, it sounds like we've got a ways to go before, before we get to that point. Andrew, I I really appreciate you calling and and clarifying uh, those issues for us. Uh, thanks so much for for joining us on Detroit today. I appreciate the time and thank you very much. Have sure. a good one. I want to go back to the phones here. Get some listeners involved in the conversation. Mike and Chesterfield, you're up first. Mike, what's on your mind? Hey there, Stephen. Long hey. time no see. Uh huh. Um, yes. Um, so recently I started working for the city and um, actually I've been dealing a lot with our maps and records for everything. And um, one of the things I've been uh, noticing a lot is that the past 25 years have been the most transformative for downtown and the surrounding downtown areas. And I like to uh, put the marker on there as the uh, destruction of the Hudson building. And ever since then, downtown seen this uh, not to sound cliche, but the true kind of renaissance, essentially. You know, we've had the implementation of the Riverwalk. We've had uh, the De Quindercut, the uh, Q Line, mm-hmm. uh, Campus Martius, the renovations at uh, both the Rensen and Cobo. Uh, we've had a lot of new construction, and all of this kind of feeds into each other. So I cannot say whether or not District Detroit will pay off in the long term in that sense, but what it does seem like, it does, if it were fully implemented, it would kind of uh, essentially fit in with all the other puzzle pieces that have been slowly but yeah. surely been set up. So once it, w- it so say like uh, let's give an imagination of Detroit at the end of the decade in 2029, 2030 sort of time frame. If this uh, if this complex of buildings is set up then it is with our relatively new stadium district. Yeah. With no, it, it completes a piece Woodward. of the pie. Mike, I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to get to a couple other listeners. Uh, uh, you're not wrong. Uh, if you look at downtown and where we need to kind of push development, this is this is certainly in the in that space. It doesn't mean there aren't other, other questions, but I think that's an important point. Uh, Richard in Detroit, you're up next. Richard, what's on your mind? Yes, thanks, Stephen. Great show. Uh, as a Detroiter, I'm a fat no. Um, I think one of the things we need to look at when giving this money away is what is the track record of the developer? Uh, not only the track record on, I mean, you may, I remember, Stephen, watching one of your shows some years ago about the promises of District Detroit. I remember mm-hmm. the promise of letting kids in the neighborhood play in the Little Caesars Arena. And those, those buildings are sitting blighted or our parking lot, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and so the track record of not only that, but how much blight has been uh, created down. So how many businesses have we heard about having to either close up or stop as being open as much as it possible because they're near blighted buildings that were owned by this District Detroit One developer that did nothing with it. You know, I mean, it's so ironic. We've got a, a church of seven in Woodward, which is being targeted. But how many of these businesses, these buildings, have been have sat, you know, without being any sort of development whatsoever, 
and that's been allowed to happen for all these decades. And so now they want to come back for $800 million? Mm. I think what ought to happen is they ought to be forced to comply with the initial agreements that they've signed, the initial agreements that they agreed to, and then come back for more money if that's what we're going to talk about. And I think the mo- amount of money just seems astronomically yeah. large. Yeah, Richard. I'll be a fat no. Richard, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in the same camp as, as you are about the numbers here. I think, uh, you know, $800 million is a lot of money. And again, it's more to subsidize uh, this project than we spend in on other projects and i don't i don't i you know i heard uh, very clearly what andrew cantor uh, was saying and i appreciate his effort to kind of uh, illuminate all of that but but i really am not um am not seeing how uh we we have to continually do this uh and it never gets uh, any better malachi i want to bring you back into the into the conversation here first to respond to what uh what we heard from from Andrew Cantor, but but then to talk also about uh, what Mike from Chesterfield is uh, is saying, which is that uh, you know this in, this completes an important piece of downtown redevelopment. Yeah, I I think that's that's part of. I mean, this this doesn't happen um, you know in a silo. This is all part of the broader context of what's going on downtown. Uh, these kinds of developments leverage off of each other you know i, I kind of like it to a snowball rolling downhill you want to keep that momentum going the hotels are not just for little Caesars arena you know they're, they're going to be for the nfl draft when it comes to town i think a lot of the enhancements you've seen to the river walk and, and to quindercut and some of the things he mentioned are also you know about attracting these these big events to come downtown and with that you need amenities you need hotels you need restaurants you need you know walkable public spaces you need all of that stuff this is all kind of one big project to turn uh, you know, to reshape downtown Detroit into a modern uh, urban space that people want to come to, not just in the city from the neighborhoods, but but regionally. You know, to Andrew's point, you know, this will uh, create a much larger economic impact in southeast Michigan mm-hmm. in general. Um, you know, all of the uh, subsidies are not coming directly from uh, taxpayers in the city. You know, there's also this transformational brownfield, which is the bulk of the uh, the subsidy is, uh, is state money. So, um yeah, I mean, what I think is interesting, though, is is when we're talking about numbers this large, it's kind of hard not for your eyes to get crossed because it's it's so conceptual. And, and you know, we're talking about, you know, putting up money to, to get, you know, access to more money uh, that gets unlocked through these deals. And I think for the average resident who doesn't have access to any kind of tax abatement to rebuild the garage or, you know, add an extension on their house or, you know, even get, um, you know, the kinds of property tax breaks that developers get access to. I think that's where some of the frustration comes in, right? I mean, it's it's hard to have a, a property in this city. It's hard to be a homeowner in this city. And if you want to make investments in your neighborhood, you just don't really get access to the same kinds of, uh, of, of financing help. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's a continual source of frustration in a city where we've had so many people evicted from their houses over, you know, owing, in some cases, you know, just a few hundred dollars in, in property taxes. And it's a huge frustration when uh, thousands of Detroit homeowners can't afford to fix their roofs uh, or their porches or, or make really basic repairs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Malachi Barrett of Bridge Detroit about the District Detroit. We had planned to be joined by my friend Ray Basham, who is a Wayne County Commissioner, to talk about uh, severe uh, work shortages at the county. Uh, We're going to do that next week because uh, we still have some steam in this conversation about the District Detroit. We'll get to more of your phone calls and social media comments next. Cynthia and Lonnie in Detroit, Frank and Lavonia, you will be up next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and our guest is Malachi Barrett. He is 
is a reporter for Bridge Detroit, covers the city of Detroit. He has been writing quite a bit about these proposed plans to expand the district Detroit uh, with a lot of residential and commercial uh, and retail options that we don't have in abundance uh, in other parts of downtown Detroit. Uh, We want to hear from you what you think about these plans and about the proposed public subsidies for uh, for these plans uh, should taxpayers in the city of Detroit or in the state of Michigan both being asked to uh, provide about $800 million worth of tax credits for this $1.5 billion development. 313-577-1019 is uh, the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. Let's start with Alex in Detroit. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, I just I didn't know about the eight hundred million dollar subsidy going to the related group until just now listening today. Um, I find that astounding. First of all, I found it astounding that uh, the representative they had call in said nothing about really serving the people of Detroit with this development. It was about serving capital, about serving investors seeking a greater return. Right. And so there are ways we can do uh, we can make an impact by subsidizing developers, I think, in a better way than subsidizing billionaires. Uh, Just a quick example. I live over in East English Village. There is a uh, young couple guys doing a $6 million redevelopment uh, of of some retail space and some apartments uh, in between Cadu and Outer on Warren. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful plan. And they have paused their groundbreaking because of interest rate hikes last year. These Mm -hmm. are young guys that they've got some wind at their back from previous developments but they are not billionaires Mm -hmm. they're trying to change the neighborhood i would like to see us subsidizing and giving some help to young developers like that Mm. and not billionaires who can who can cushion the fall if their risk uh turns out to be to be not fruitful which Uh, i doubt alex i'm really glad you called and and gave that example because uh the city is full of Folks who are trying to develop in uh, places, you know, that are not downtown Detroit, and because they're not in downtown Detroit, and because they're not big developments, uh, they don't get that kind of of help. And the idea that that you know the change in interest rates, the 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 fear of recession, would would cause a developer, a small developer, to have to think about you know pausing their development, and, and which of course puts it at risk of being canceled. Um, that's something that happens all the time. And it is this this balance I think we, we need to, to take better account of is where are you going to put the money? Where should we be investing yeah. um, in developers? Um, yeah. Alex, I really appreciate the call and, and the example. Uh, let's Thank go. You. Yeah, go ahead. Let's, next, let's go next to Lonnie in Detroit. Lonnie, welcome to the show. Are you there, Lonnie? Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Are you there, Lonnie? Okay, Lonnie, uh, call us back. Let's go to Cynthia in Detroit. Cynthia, welcome Hello. to the show. Hey, Cynthia. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Well, I'm a big fat no, like the other caller and the gentleman that just called. I mean, Detroit is building up, putting millions in the downtown when our kids are struggling in school. There's no tie to all this money and how... Can't we tie it to them helping improve the schools? I mean, we're building up Detroit, and our our city is falling apart around Detroit. Mm. And, it's, you know, we're just giving them all this money. And I worked for the Illages for 18 years at a casino, and I don't even find them to be great employers. <laughs> so, you know, and our, our schools are so bad, our kids can't even get through Wayne State, mm. let alone benefit from jobs or anything like that because, you know, our schools are so inadequate. And I never hear us talking about our children and our schools and their future. It's all about capitalism and profit, but not for us. I I really appreciate you calling and making that point. And and I want to build on that before I go back to uh, our guest, Malachi Barrett. One of the things we are terrible at in the city of Detroit is that direct translation between uh, the things that are happening in downtown Detroit and the lifting of 
communities uh, that that people uh, rely on in the city of Detroit. And schools are, are, are a great example. Why shouldn't we be talking about the direct benefit we could require, in fact, to schools in the city from this kind of uh, investment. It's something that we don't, we don't do and we don't talk about, um, uh, and that's why we are where we are. Malachi Barrett, we've got about a minute left. Uh, give me a sense of how people uh, can get involved in, in this uh, and, and, and what the timeline is for the decisions here. So every Tuesday, there are public meetings at Cass Technical High School. Uh, they start at 6 o'clock. They're, they run two hours. Usually the, the organizers are gracious enough to feed you. So if you want to come down after work, uh, don't worry about grabbing dinner. Uh, they're going to happen every Tuesday until February 21st. Uh, these are opportunities to give public comment directly to developers. Uh, it's an opportunity to give comment to the Neighborhood Advisory Council that's going to be negotiating these community benefits. If you want more support for schools, come down and tell them that. There's been some conversation about uh, connecting kids at, at Castec or some of the surrounding, uh, you know, just DPS schools in general uh, to a University of Michigan innovation mm-hmm. campus that's mm-hmm. not part of the development, but is also, uh, it's going to be happening around the same time in a similar area is kind of seen as being connected. So these kinds of conversations are going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the CBO process is hopefully a way to get involved in this. And I think it's interesting to think about this in you know, in terms of racial equity, it's something that has come up, you know, over and over again. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And everyone is welcome at those meetings. That's right. Correct? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Malachi Barrett, uh, Bridge Detroit, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Great conversation. It's going to do it for us today. Uh, come back tomorrow uh, when we're going to talk with one of my favorite people, Kadata Williams, a professor here at Wayne State, about her new book. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.